special win means special happy hour. Joe and I are here. It's a Monday. It's a special Monday. United happy hour. Let's get started. Fergie time lives on. United coming from 2-0 down to get an equalizer and then the Fergie time winner off the head of the big boy, Edinson Cavani. And we are sitting here now having won, what is it, three league games in a row, something we didn't do until last June. Four games on the bounce. Uh, first team to ever win four straight away Premier League games when they've been trailing in all four of them. Uh, that's quite an accomplishment. First United team to ever win eight straight away games in the top flight. Another quite accomplishment. Kind of weird that this keeps happening with a manager who's in over his head, but they're getting it done. I'm Pauly Questel. I'm joined by Joe. It's a special Monday edition of the United Happy Hour. And as happy as we are and everything, we have to start off the show with a few apologies. Uh, I hate to start it out this way, but uh, for one, I apologize. There is a big storm going on in New York City right now, and I live in the loudest uh, apartment in the world. So if it sounds like the wind is howling and I am in the middle of a storm, I literally am. Uh, So I apologize for any potential poor audio quality uh, in that regard. I apologize for running out of the uh, show last week and having to wrap up a, a little bit sooner than expected. Had to deal with a family not emergency, but uh, not emergency. Everybody is fine. That's also the reason we're coming to you on Monday this week, because uh, I have some family things to take care of. My dad is recovering from surgery. Everything's great, but family comes first. So we're messing around here. Good evening, everybody. It's great coming off of a win. Get involved in the comments. This is the United Happy Hour presented by the Elite Football Show. Let us know your thoughts. Get in, Join the conversation in the comments. It has been almost three minutes. You have only heard my voice. It's not just me. It is Joe is with me. Joe, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good, thank you, mate. Not got any storms here. Uh, touch wood, mate. But having said that, you go on about these storms that you got at your end, mate. I'm sure they're nothing in comparison to some of the Twitter storms that you used to getting involved in, mate. So I'm sure you, you'll be absolutely fine um, dealing with these ones. The Twitter storm, actually not so bad today. Uh, I managed to stay off of it yesterday because uh, we sent out the, you know, United come back, they win 3-2, and people are still trying to find reasons why to say, you know, Ollie shouldn't be the manager. And I was like, the haters are going to hate what happened today. Because, again, three on the bounce in the league, something they didn't accomplish until post-lockdown last year. Four on the bounce in all competitions. Since the Tottenham game, it is like a night and day transformation. We're seeing them come out of their shell a bit. We we talk about how that how they erred on the side of defense after the Tottenham drubbing, how they went with two holding midfielders, and how this was it's not ideal, but you know that that's how Solskjaer was it's been weighing on him, and that's how he's going to want to play to to solidify that defense. And 
maybe it, it probably it probably cost us a match against Chelsea. It probably it, it probably cost us a match against Arsenal. It was it was frustrating, but that needed to happen first. And once you solidify the defense, you could start expanding. And we are seeing them start to do that now. And the results are coming. And this is uh, it's it's been great that as, as you mentioned that the the Twitter storm. That's a great way to say, let's take a look at what's going on on social media today. And Joe, this is normally the time where I throw it to you and you tell me what's going on on social media, but there is nothing. There's nothing going on on social media because we keep winning. And when we keep winning, the haters have to shut up. The newspapers don't know what to write about because uh, there's a saying in the media business, losing sells. Losing, you could always complain. You could always dr- drum up some controversy. Uh, you know, Arsenal Fan TV has picked the absolute right time to come alive, which was at the start of this decade, coinciding when Arsenal decided we're no longer going to be a top club. Um, there's a reason <laughs> There's a reason that you don't hear Liverpool fans. Uh, Liverpool fans will complain when there's a VAR issue. But otherwise, last year, you didn't hear them complain at all because they were getting every break when it came to VAR. They were winning, and there's nothing to really do when you're winning. Nobody we're really hearing, wants to hear it. We're hearing a bit more from them this year, aren't we, Paul? With their injuries and that, which is a little bit understandable. Yeah, because, well, because they're the, lucky, they've been very lucky with injuries in the last couple of years, though, haven't they, to be fair? Yeah, I, well, not, I wouldn't say lucky. It's just that up until this year, injuries weren't a thing. And now this year, uh, Liverpool have become the first team to ever get injuries during a Premier League season, and they are saying that that's not fair. So there's something for them to complain. Complaining sells. Not complaining doesn't sell. So there's nothing going on 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 social media except for one thing. It's all focused on one guy, and he happens to be the subject of our poll. So we're going to get right into our poll results. So, yeah, Paulie, the poll that you put up, that never gets easier, that the poll the poll that you put up, Paulie, I can never really say I probably, but the poll that you put up this week was all about, obviously, after the game, you asked people that as a result of his amazing performance um, in the second half against Southampton at the weekend, should Edison Cavani start versus PSG on Wednesday? And 72.2% of people said yes. And the other option you gave them, Polly, was dirt yes, which was an obvious yes, I suppose. Not yes, maybe, but sort of yes, damn right, he should be playing. Only 27.9%, of those people suggested that actually dirt yes, he should be playing. Now, Polly, we had a little chat about this before we came live. You were actually quite surprised that not more people voted dirt yes because... It just seems to be the way with our fan base that as soon as one player has a good game or even a good half these days, he shouldn't automatically start the next five games. I mean, I, I we were chatting earlier and I drew up the, the comparison with Odin Agarlo. I, I even remember calls for him to start after he had a couple of good games in the League Cup last season and a couple of good games in the Europa League. People were calling in to start that Manchester derby, I think, the one just before we went into lockdown. So what do you make of this? Uh, as always, Paul, which way would you have voted? And are you surprised at the way it went? I'm a little surprised that Duh Yes didn't do better because if you look on Twitter, that's, that's all we're seeing. Uh, it's yeah. not just the fans. It's the newspapers and everything talking about the movement and every and all the qualities that United and uh, Cavani being that true old school number nine um, 
bring to the team that they, that they've lacked. And and the truth is they have lacked it. Um, they've they've gotten by with. Rashford and Martial and Greenwood and they and they did well last year and they didn't play a system that called for a true number nine and part of the reason like if you look at the way that this team is and how they play and how whenever um Solskjaer has gotten an injury or something he's adapted to the team so he adapted last year to I have Mason Greenwood I have Anthony Martial I have Marcus Rashford none of them are a true number nine but you don't need a true number nine to succeed. And he adapted the team to play that. They didn't cross the ball a lot because they had forwards that weren't good in the air. Cavani comes and, and he's, he's showing something different. And part of the reason that it's working right now is because you have a whole year of evidence of, well, Manchester United don't play like that. So it's hard for teams to prepare for Edison Cavani when they don't have any video or, or, or scouting on United being a team that's going to, that's going to whip in crosses and everything. And, I just let me thank you for the comment, Jonathan. Everybody, please get involved in the comments. Let let us know what you think. Uh, you bring up the Cavani Instagram post, and I, let me just say say this right now: we are not going to talk about it on this show um, because I just I haven't taken the time to really read into it and understand it, and I am too ignorant to really give a, an opinion on it. So um, I understand that what he said was bad. It looks really bad. It's probably really bad. There is the art, the side of the argument that says that um, he it can be taken out of context. I do not know, so I will refrain from giving an opinion on this. You know, if I, it, it, the situation will work itself out. Um, but I, to go back to the poll question, I was a little surprised that Duh, yes, didn't win because we saw it after the match against Istanbul. We saw what Cavani's movement and everything did. You know, he didn't score against Istanbul, but we saw his work rate and his movement probably caused the first two goals that United scored, even though he didn't score them, but they caused mistakes and, and they United were able to capitalize on them. So you would think, oh, and everybody was like, oh, this is what United have been missing. This is what they need. You got to play him. Um, and then he comes on, he doesn't start against Southampton. He comes on after 45 minutes and 46 seconds because somehow he didn't have the right boots on, which is unbelievable yeah. how that can happen to a club. Like he was out during halftime warming up. Paul, he, Paul, we, had, um, we had Roy Keane in the studio in Sky Sports over here in the UK. And I can tell you, he was less than impressed with Cavani. They literally cut back to him in the studio um, after the game. And, you know, you'd expect Roy Keane, a massive Man United fan, to be absolutely buzzing about the way that United have won. And one of the first questions they, they said was, what about this fact that he hadn't got the boots on? And he was just like, in typical Roy Keane fashion, Totally unacceptable. Not it good is. Enough. It's totally unacceptable. It's. Yeah. I. I. I don't. I, I. I. get it. He was out there warming up, and he probably said, "I don't have the right size stud in considering the pitch conditions." But that's on him. That's on United, their coaching staff, the equipment guy, whoever's job it is, the kit man, whoever's job it is to get him the right pair of boots. How did he not get right? And then it just hilarious. He comes out right before we're about to start. He's switching boots and the referee just goes, yeah, can you just step onto this side of the line and change your boots here? So like, so that the game can start unbelievable. And, and that is unacceptable. Um, there was something else that, and, and I'll bring this up to you later. I'll ask you later what you thought about it. Um, 
But yeah, then he goes and he has a brilliant game. And, and independent of that, independent of the brilliant game, I'm going to agree with uh, Arvajit here who says he should be an automatic starter against PSG more so now that Marcial might not play. Um, do you think that we should go with two forwards up front? That's there's a lot. We'll, we'll cover the second half of that question in the back end. I do think he should play against PSG, but that, because I think that was always the plan Yeah. Um, in, in that he was, he's 33 years old. This is what everybody has to remember. He's 33 years old and he can't play every week. He can't play week in, week out. He can't start twice a week. If he does, you're going to burn him out. And you can't have that. He needs to, you need to manage his minutes. We always talk about like the coach and being a coach or being a manager. This is where you need to be the manager, manage the guy's minutes. The fact that you were able to get 45 minutes out of Cavani on Sunday and he was able to make that kind of an impact is huge because if you don't need to play him for 90 minutes, don't. He's got three goals in his first five games for United. That's awesome. And what you want is for that to turn into six goals in his first 10 and nine goals in his first 15. What you don't want is to say, whoa, you, you got up. You don't want to Dan James him where it's like, whoa, you got off to a hot start and now we're going to play you much more than you can handle, especially with the way that the schedule is about to get really hectic and really crazy. And all of a sudden three goals in five games becomes five goals in 12 games. And it's like, well, now he's not so useful. So it's, it's very important to manage his minutes. Now, having said that, I will, would have played him against PSG anyway. And I think that was the plan. Rest him against Southampton, call upon him if you need him. And he'll start against PSG because he could do things. You could press. He's, he's very good off the ball. He'll provide you that energy. He also has a, a uh, you know, a gripe against PSG. I'm a big fan of playing anybody who might have a gripe against someone. Uh, you, you know, you remember what Paul Pogba did in Jose Mourinho's backyard in the FA Cup after Mourinho got fired. Yeah, uh, and not only that, Paulie, look at look at when he first came to the club. If you remember, it coincided with that first PSG game, and the club and Cavani did everything possible to try and get him ready to get him fit. To play in that game in Paris, obviously, but it just was it just came a bit too soon with the whole quarantine rules and his own fitness and whatever. He w- he wasn't able to play that one. So I think, you know, United would have always wanted him to play at least one game against PSG. Well, why wouldn't you? Because the intel that he has on PSG as well, on the way that they set up, the way that they defend, everything like that. Thiago Silva, who they sort of matched each other when they played each other against Chelsea, but actually against these younger defenders at PSG, with his experience, he'll fancy that he can, he's probably got their number, if you know what I mean. So I think Solskjaer, like you said, would definitely have wanted him to play, if not the full 90 against PSG, a large portion of that match, maybe an hour, 75 minutes. And the fact that he's played 45 might mean that he can't necessarily do the whole 90, but actually if you get 75 good minutes out of him and we're in a position where we can win the game, then you can look to rotate from there. That's fine. And whoever comes on for him will obviously be a decent option. We know that with our bench. Yeah. And the, there, there's obviously we don't know what the story with Anthony Martial is. We know uh, he came ill Sunday morning. We don't know with what, you know, maybe it's just a fever. Maybe it's the flu. Uh, I, I doubt it's, 
It's it, I doubt it's COVID. They they probably would have told us by now. The way they told it us Jesse Wingard is he might be in a tummy bug poly something exactly. like that. You, know, like some, you really hope it's something that, that keeps him out a day. Um, according to Wokish in the comments, he did not come out for training today, so that probably rules him out. Um, which is fine. You'll have the you'll have the firepower of Greenwood coming off the bench. Um, I think that's Greenwood's best role right now. I also think Greenwood needs to get a game or two in the U23s because he needs to just rediscover everything about playing football. Wasn't too shocked to see him get get pulled off at halftime yesterday. Yeah. I wanted to talk to you about this because I, I was tweeting about it yesterday. Like, and it was it was a joke. Like, first of all, understand you know. For those who don't know, on a Sunday morning, the game's at 9 a.m. by me, and I am at the bar at 9 a.m. So uh, imagine going to the bar at 9 a.m., not having breakfast, and having a couple of drinks while you're watching the game, and you'll get where my mental state is by the time the second half starts, um, especially when we're 2-0 down when we really shouldn't have been. Yeah. So I tweeted, and it was it was partially a joke and partially serious. Like, I'll, you know, when they say Cavani brings this veteran leadership, I'll always remember – him missing the first 46 seconds of the second half because he didn't have his boots ready, which is unacceptable. But then the thing that really pissed me off, I don't, I don't know if I want to say pissed me off. It wasn't that bad, but it, it rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I know I sound like those fans who like get mad at players for dancing right now, but when he scored that equalizer and he runs off to the corner and he's celebrating and he's doing the, the arrow thing, the El Matador, and I didn't like that. What did you think about that? Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? I, I think, you know, I, sometimes the way I feel with celebrations, whenever someone's made the goal for you or, or, or someone's put a lot of effort into the goal, I do like to see that player go and celebrate with, with, with the other players involved. I mean, obviously, the assist for his first goal was interesting point, wasn't it? Because it, it was sort of a hit by Bruno. And I think he's going for goal there, Bruno, to be honest. And he's he is. And he missed it. And, and, yeah. and, and that's exactly what Cavani brings is he looks for something like that and and yeah. creates a creates a nothing chance and turns it into a half chance and turns it into a goal. And, and there is no doubt United have been missing that, which is, again, what we said a couple minutes ago, why you need to manage him because you, you cannot burn him out. That's the key. Yeah. yeah. No, I agree. And but yeah, I mean for me, Paulie, on that, I do like to see players celebrate with the rest of the team. I mean, Cavani, good on him, he's happy he scored a goal. I, I, to be honest with you, I've never scored a goal in football and I've certainly not scored a goal at that level. So I, I wouldn't know what it feels like. The sort of the euphoria, I suppose it takes over you, don't we? And a lot of people say it's quite an out of body experience. But yeah, I'd like to see players celebrate with the rest of the team. But you know, well, you I, no, so all right. So I have no issue with him celebrating on his own or with the rest of the team. Um, you know, Jonathan saying Cavani's done that for years. No better, no worse or better than the sharp shuffle. I assume Jonathan, you were hey, talking I, about. I can, yeah, Lee Sharp in the early nineties. That was the yeah, that was so, like sort of Roger Miller sort of ideas, sort of celebration at the corner. Yeah, I have no, no issue if I assume you're talking about a specific dance or something that someone's known for. You know, Gareth Bale, the heart. Etc. Uh, Griezmann used to do the Fortnite thing. I have no problem with you doing that and yeah. not doing. Uh, I, I had, you know, as long as, as long as you're not shov shoving your teammates away. I used to. I didn't like it when Nani would score and his teammates would come hug him and he'd say, "No, get away from me! Get away from me! I need to do a do flip, point yeah. my name on the back, and then you can hug me." That rubbed me the wrong way. Always. I mean, uh, be you know, 
be humble. Be humble. Exactly. Yeah. Or, you know, there's no, I have no problem with once you're done turning to the crowd and, and there is a time for it. Look, Messi, uh, Messi dribbling through the entire Real Madrid defense, scoring that goal in like the 96th yeah. minute and taking his shirt off in front of the Real Madrid fans and you just holding it out. You can do what you want. Oh, that, I mean, that is beautiful. My issue was he celebrated scoring an equalizer. And yeah. I just remember last season, um, you know, Bruno scores that goal. Immediately he goes, grabs the ball. All right, yeah, because you're 2-1 down. We need another one. I remember last year um, – Dan James scores the equalizer against Crystal Palace and he runs out in front of the Stratford end and just stands up and shows himself off. Like, yep, I just scored. I'm going to bass this in. I just, I just leveled it late. This is huge. And Martial Rashford. And I think even Pogba was there and somebody else ran over and grabbed him and said, no, no, like we're Manchester United, like an 81st minute equalizer. Good. Not the, not, it's not over. We're going for a winner. And We don't celebrate this. You score the winner, we'll celebrate. And against Sheffield United, Mason Greenwood, fantastic. Makes a great run. Rashford picks him out with a great low cross. Excellent finish to tie that game up at two. Greenwood runs in, grabs the ball, runs. I mean, that was a sensational goal. It might have even been his first Premier League goal. I think it was his first Premier League goal. He didn't even think to celebrate. Grabbed the ball, ran back. We need a third. And when United got their third, they celebrate. That and, and everybody praised it at the time. Everybody was all look at Rashford, look at Martial grabbing Daniel James and being like, no, no, this is Manchester United. We're going for the win. And look at Mason Greenwood with that head, like that's that head on his shoulder. So then to have this veteran that everybody's gonna come in and say, Oh, his leadership is huge. For you to be celebrating an equalizer when there's 19 minutes to go, I want you to go pick up the ball and, and get and get it back. And then when you score in the 92nd minute. By all, like, then, you know, take your nuts out and, and show them to the crowd. I don't care. Like, do whatever. <laughs> you know what? You know what I think it is with this team, though, Paul? It is we, every game. We've talked about this before. It's trepidation about every game. We're nervous about going into every game. Every game with United seems like it's on a knife edge the whole time. And I just wonder, you know, being 2 0 down and getting to all, to 2 all, the players probably realize that that was, a, you know, it's a big thing because obviously we know. Southampton weren't great yesterday, but they've had a great season so far and they're a good side and they're a difficult side to come back against, I think, because of the way that they play and the demands they put on you. Although, actually, the stats say something a bit different to that. They're actually second-half goals this season. They're ranked 19th in the Premier League, I think. So they do concede get goals as, as games go on, I think, and that's probably down to the fact of just how much they put into the game in the early stages. They really do come out the blocks quickly. But I just think a lot of United players these days, when they get an equalising goal, they're just relieved more than anything because we know how massive it is with our fan base if we lose a game, Paulie. It, it is huge. And I just think even an equalising goal at the moment for a lot of these players feels like a huge relief because they know if they lose games like Southampton away and other games like that, they're going to come in for a lot of criticism. So I'm not, I'm not excusing Cavani for that. And I mean, he's quite new to the fold, so it shouldn't really be affecting him like it should other players. But I do wonder if that plays a part. I, yeah, but I mean, you look back, go back to the Sheffield United match last year and things were worse then yeah. than, they, than they are now. Yeah. And 
we, you know, again, it's, it's the head on the shoulders of, you know, look at who was on the pitch at that time. It was Brandon Williams, Mason Greenwood, Rashford, Martial. And you really no, thought we could, young team, young team. you really thought we could go and build on that. And it was, it was unfortunate that Solskjaer messed up and, and actually cost us that game and that they didn't build on it. It's just, that's, you know, that's what you want your leaders to, you, when you bring in a, a player like Cavani, who, you know, probably no matter how well you manage his minutes, he's probably not going to be giving you what he's giving you now in April and May. Yeah. Um, so, but you want him in there for that presence and everything. And it, it, you want to see something better. It's one thing to like, just do a quick, you know, but he like dragged it out and it just, it didn't, it didn't rub me the right way. It rubbed yeah. me a little the wrong way, but credit to him. He made up for it. He scored the winner. He said, oh, I'm not done here. And he, and he, and he went in and, and that's all you could ask for. Yeah. I just um, want to, I just want to bring some of the comments in Paul. I know you've not had a chance, but they are flooding in today, guys. Thanks so much for all your comments. If you're watching, do give us a like, give us a subscribe. I know we've got some regulars in here, so you will have already done that, but help spread the word. It's brilliant. Just want to interact with some of these comments, Paulie. What about this argument? Some people are saying, look, this is Edison Cavani. He can do what he likes, basically. You know what I mean? He, he, you know, he, he, he's earned that right through his career to be able to, you know, show his emotion and, and enjoy scoring goals. But we've talked- I don't buy that. I don't buy that for a second. And okay. you know why? What does everybody say? What does everybody say when it comes to Paul Pogba? Oh, he thinks he's bigger than the club? No one's yeah, bigger yeah. than the club. So if that's your stance, then I don't care if you're Edinson Cavani. And, like, this was the whole thing. Like, Zlatan Ibrahimovic used to do that. And everyone, oh, well, it's Zlatan. It's like, yeah, Zlatan scored 16 goals in the league and we finished sixth. You know, like, for all the, for all the, the accolades that Zlatan did. And last week I saw it on Twitter. People, you know, we had a show last week where we were saying, all right, it wasn't that bad. The performance against West Brom wasn't that bad. And it was important to get the three points. And people were saying, how are we celebrating this? How are we happy about this? That's such a drop in standard. Whereas earlier that day on Twitter, I had seen people celebrating Zlatan's winner in the League Cup against Southampton. Zlatan, Mr. I win the league everywhere I go, and now I'm coming to United where Eric Cantona says, well, I'm already, the, I'm King Eric, so you could be the prince. And Zlatan goes, no, I'm God. And we're now celebrating that he won us a League Cup. That is when the standards fell. I'm sorry, but Zlatan didn't come here to win us a League Cup. Yeah. He came here to take us to the next level and bring us back to winning the league. If you're going to try, oh, well, he brought us trophies. He brought us the least two important trophies. And if we're celebrating those, then that's when the standards fell. So uh, if you're going to tell me that, oh, Pug was acting bigger than the club and nobody's bigger than the club, then that falls for Edinson Cavani too. Oh, no, I, I agree. I'm, I'm with you on that, Polly. But, but, you know, I think, the other thing we've got to look at here as well is we've talked on Red Devils Talk and on this poly about Edison Cavani and his impact that he has on the younger players in the squad. We've said countless times, you know, these younger players need to be watching Edison, you know, in training. And that is totally right because his movement for those goals, you want your young players to be looking at that. The two, the and, movement, and that, hold that right there. I'm going to come to you about that. Him, I'm going to come to you about that in a minute because that's, yeah. that's great. Let's just bring up this. Uh, from Aditya, I agree. We don't celebrate the equalizer in, in this situation. Uh, to clear something up, as Joe can see, is, is that last week at the end, we keep making this joke that Aditya is not my burner account. 
And last week at the end of the show, if you, if you go back and watch it, you could see that I am a mess and I am all over the place because I got an important text message. My mom and dad were texting me about something family related that was important. I'm trying to like respond to them. I'm trying to send Joe messages in private and all the while I'm on the air and I'm talking and I have to remember what I'm saying. And if you go back and watch it, it's hilarious because I very much could not. So that is my, that is 100%. If you think that I can be Aditya and have a burner account while I'm doing this show, uh, then you really give me a lot more credit than I deserve. Um, But what you were saying, Joe, is, is that is, exactly what you want from Edison Cavani is you want yeah. is you're seeing that it's not just his running and his movement, which we are already seeing the benefit of. Um, yeah. And, and just the way that he was looking for that goal on his, on his first goal, the way that Bruno miss hits that shot and Cavani throws his head out there to put it in. It's not just that he does that. It's what does he do during training? How does he work with Mason Greenwood to say, this is what you want to look for. We we've all heard the stories of, when Rooney came to United and and the odd game that he'd sit on the bench and Solskjaer would sit next to him and say, look at the defenders, figure out how they're playing, figure out what their weaknesses are. So if you get, if, if the boss puts you in with 25 minutes left, you know where to attack them so that you can make an impact, which is what Solskjaer was so good at and makes you wonder why he seems to be so good at getting strikers to come off the bench and score goals. Well, uh, you know, look at what Solskjaer said after the game. He was always told by Alex Ferguson, and it's a great point for strikers, Paulie, your best friend as a striker is space. space. Exactly. And that is what Cavani probably, I think Cavani's probably do that better for Manchester United than probably any striker since Reed Van Nistelrooy, arguably, to be honest. But that's going back. I mean, you said earlier, a lot of people don't have a lot of intel on us playing like that with a proper number nine. The last time we had a number nine sort of within that mould was probably Romelu Lukaku. But even he is a very different number nine to what Cavani is for me, Paulie. I mean, obviously, they're very much different statures. They're different, they're different builds. They're different specimen. And even Romelu, to be fair, is a number nine. Yes, he did. You know, he could pick up positions. But even he didn't have the eye, I don't think, for a goal like, like Edison has in and around the box. So, I think I think Edison, arguably, probably the most effective player doing that for us since all the way back from Ruben Nistelrooy. That's probably going back 15 years ago, Paulie. That's a long time. Yeah, we're not going to talk about Rude. No, here. no, no, no. I have a feeling people wouldn't like what I have to say about him. Jonathan Zlatan's United career was met, to be honest. Thank God somebody else said that. Uh, very happy to hear you say that. But to talk about the movement and everything, I think this was important because we saw it early on. And we saw it with Mason Greenwood. Remember last week when we talked about the performance wasn't as bad as we think because the players were doing things that we wanted to see them do. It just, it wasn't coming off and tell is playing that early ball and all right, it gets intercepted or it just doesn't reach it. But now the players know to make that run and because the ball might come and that happened right away. Tell us plays an early ball and Mason Greenwood makes a great run, gets in, gets around, rounds the goalkeeper and he just misses. And it's unfortunate that he misses, but that's the thing. Like, that's the thing that we want to see from this team because when Alex Tellis has the ball, Mesa Greenwood is not good at making runs. He's not good at getting into dangerous areas. If you look at his shot chart, his shots come from the top of the box or just off, you know, he doesn't really get into the dangerous nitty gritty zones that you want a striker to get into. And I know he plays off the wing, but Rashford gets into those spaces from time to time. Martial would get into those spaces when he played on the wing. He needs to learn how to do that. And the fact that he made that run, very positive to see it, especially because he made a similar run um, against RB Leipzig. And that's, and that's how he scored. 
And yeah, it's frustrating that he didn't score there. It's funny because I, I immediately said, you know, the probability of that goal is probably not that high. And everybody, you know, whether, what, however you feel about expected goals or not, like this is the thing people always say, oh, you could take expected goals and shove it up your, shove it up your arse. Like, I just, you know, tell me if the ball went in the net or not. But when you say, oh, Greenwood should have finished that or Greenwood has to score there, that's the Lex, that is the expected goals. What expected goals does is they take, they've got, hundreds of thousands of shots in their database and they t- and that shot that greenwood has taken has been taken before it has been taken before by plenty of other players and they figure out what are the probabilities that it goes in and they say well 22 times out of 100 they score on that that's what it was it was 22% probability and that now for that that takes into account everybody so mason greenwood we know is a very good finisher. So for something where it's 22%, we, you, ex, you probably expect him to finish 30, 40% of the time. That's fair. He's, he's a really good finisher. That means six or seven times out of 10, it doesn't go in. I think people need to remember that. Um, because but, you look. The key, the key though, with the Cavani goals, Paulie, wasn't the fact that the difficulty of the chances. It was the fact that if the players who'd have started the game, i.e. Greenwood, or even if it had been the other way around, Rashford, would not have been making that run. That ball from Rashford would have probably just armlessly gone through to the goalkeeper, Paulie, with nobody on the end of it. And we'd have all been saying, oh, what a careless pass by Rashford. But actually, what makes that winning goal is the run that Cavani makes across the box. And then once he gets his head to it, you expect him to score because it's quite close. He's using the pace on the ball. But the key to that and the key to all of Cavani's goals was his movement and the the thing that he was in the right position at the right time. If you just said, for example, Cavani never comes on in that game and Greenwood plays 90 minutes, I don't think Greenwood would have been in the two positions. That no, we Cavani certainly don't win. To we score certainly don't win. Off. And yeah, and like this is what what I'm saying is is six out of seven out of ten, six or seven out of ten times, like that's a lot. You look at someone. I, I think people were being like a little harsh on, on Greenwood early on because he missed that chance. And, and this is the, herein lies the problem with this is the problem with the two striker situation. United actually played well yesterday. They didn't deserve to be, they didn't deserve to be two nil down. They, they conceded the perfect corner yeah. or West or South Southampton executed the perfect corner. And they hit a perfect free kick. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But yeah. when people the, – the issue that I had was United created some big chances. All right? You had the Greenwood chance. You had Greenwood on the interception and the rebound that fell to Bruno. Rashford had a chance that he squandered. And, and we could talk about Rashford and how he can't convert to save his life um, as well because I we've got a lot of notes on that. And like the sooner we acknowledge that Rashford isn't a good, good finisher, the better we can actually assess – how, what this team's ceiling is and, and where we can go with them. Um, but the thing I've been saying is when we play with Greenwood as this split striker is you're, you're basically, you're hoping to create a chance that falls for him because he doesn't help create chances except in the press. He actually, he scored a couple of goals last year where he, he pressed and he got some interceptions and he took it himself and he created a chance that way. But in the buildup, he doesn't create much. And you're hoping that these chances fall to him and they fell to him against RB Leipzig. It fell to him against Arsenal. And now it's fallen to him 
against Southampton, he's hit one out of three, 33%. That's really good. That's elite level of finishing. But it means that two thirds of the time, he's not scored. You know, if you're only going to give him that one chance a game, you're not going to be that successful. And I think that's why he ultimately came off. And let me bring this up to you. Erling Holland, all we hear about is Erling Holland scoring goals left and right for Borussia Dortmund. Since he has arrived at Dortmund in the Champions League and the Bundesliga, 84 shots, 28 goals. That is a 33% conversion rate. What I put up on the screen here is Erling Holland shot chart. This is in the Bundesliga only. We see all these goals are coming from right inside the box. Yeah. Smack in the middle, right in front. The, where you want your number nine. Just yeah. where you want your number nine. Now the picture on the right is the same shot chart, but minus the goals, there's a lot of big misses in there. Yeah. So that's the thing is everybody misses from time to time. And like when, when, when you say Greenwood, oh, he has to score. It's for the average player, eight out of 10 times, they don't score that. Maybe for Greenwood, he scores that four out of 10, six out of 10 times he misses. Yeah. Give the, give the kid a little bit of a break. But, and I think that's why you go to Cavani. And I think the plan was to go to, obviously the plan was to go to Cavani if we were down. This is something we talked about for on Red Devils Talk a couple weeks ago when things were a little bit worse with United. And we said, what ha- you know, when is Solskjaer displayed when he's, when he's losing? What happens when he gets punched in the mouth? Like we saw against PSG, against Newcastle, PSG, uh, even RB Leipzig, he had a plan in place for those games and everything went according to plan. Kept it close for 70 minutes, brought on Pogba, changed it up, um, you know, against against Leipzig, he took out Van de Beek, brought on Rashford and Bruno, blew them out the door. But Chelsea, you know, it wasn't like, you know, he didn't do yeah. enough to change. It's what happens when you get punched in the mouth and you're, you have to make a change sooner. And I think this game, he passed that with fine colors. I think Cavani would have came on eventually, but what do you do? Cause here's the question. What do you do when you're down two nil and you really shouldn't be? Because again, that corner, the, 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 the athletic wrote an article about this. Yeah. About Christian Erickson last year, because every, you know, ask a Tottenham fan, they'll tell you Erickson can never beat the first man on a corner. And no. the reason that he didn't is because he's trying to take these corners that just dip over the first man and dip in front of the goalkeeper. Because if you put it there and you get a flick on, it is almost impossible for the goalkeeper to stop. It is almost impossible for the goalkeeper to defend it. It is a very hard ball to deliver because the window to deliver it is about the size of a ball. Yeah. So you, your delivery has to be perfect. And James Ward Prowse was perfect. And then let's just talk about this perfect corner though, Paulie. And, and it was, and it, it really was, but look, you've, you, we've had a chat about it, Paulie, and, and you showed me some things, uh, you know, um, I'll, I'll come on to this point in a minute, but quickly, Paulie, it was very avoidable when you look at the build up to that corner, wasn't it? And I think, I think the main takeaway from playing Southampton these days has to be at whatever cost, do not give them set pieces in and around the box because I don't think there's any doubt about it. At the moment, I think James Ward-Prowse is probably the best dead ball set piece taker in the league, probably uh, with, with with without doubt. So I know it sounds quite simple, and corners are so difficult to prevent giving away because nobody 
usually when you give a corner, I would imagine eighty percent of the time it's deflected off you. It's 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 out of your control. But you, I think you really do need to be. It's got to a stage now with him where you just think whatever you do, no silly corners and free kicks. And the corner, the way it came about, wasn't silly. It was a brilliant piece of defending from Lindelof. But actually, the build up to it, there was things United could have done better. Probably, and also the free kick was a very soft one given away by Fred. Like, very, very clumsy, very, very... Uh, afterward, yeah. And it wasn't yeah. a soft free kick given given away by Fred. It was a foul. It was a dumb foul. Yeah, it was a foul that... Yeah, it was a yeah, silly foul. It was a foul that Fred did not have to do because Lindelof and Juan Basaka were right there. So it's like, yeah, yeah, your man gave you fits and he was dribbling by you, but he's dribbling into Juan Basaka. It's an easy switch. Like, Juan Basaka picks him up, you pick up Juan Basaka's man. Yeah. And it's, it's just unneeded, but... In the last two years, four out of the five goals Southampton have scored against United have been on set pieces, one of which, of course, because Brandon Williams wasn't was no longer in the game, United were playing with 10 men. Yeah. If you go back to the last time United played Southampton, which was when they won 3-2 on an injury time winner uh, in Ollie's, when Ollie first took charge, I don't remember how they scored their second goal, but the first one was this, I don't remember how they scored the first goal, but the second one was definitely a James Ward-Prowse free kick. I believe the first one was too. Um, so there is all this belief amongst our fan base that Southampton give United fits. And it's just not, you know, they're, they are so potent on set pieces, but really in open play, United have the advantage. And that's, Really, if you're so short at halftime, you're looking around and being like, what do we do here? Because we're playing well. And if we if we go out in the second half and do what we did in the first and do what we did in the first half again, odds are we'll score two goals or something. Yeah. yeah. You know, we'll probably get out of this and it'll be two two. But like you're looking at it and you'd be like, so you'd be the better team, and you'd be the better team, and you'd end up two two. And that's, you know, that's frustrating. But instead he goes, I'm going to bring on Cavani now. I'm not going to change the shape. I'm not going to change anything because the shape isn't the problem or anything. But I'm going to bring on Cavani because Rashford and, and Greenwood. And this is the whole thing. Like, why do we keep, whenever we play the diamond, which I think can be a very successful formation when you have Alex Tellez and Cavani whipping in crosses and getting on the end of them and, and Cavani's movement. And his whole every time we've played the diamond so far has been Greenwood and Rashford, who are the two worst strikers we have at hold-up play, which is what we need them to do. Like, if you play this, if you play the diamond with Martial and, and Cavani, I think it looks a lot different and a lot more dangerous. Yeah. But he goes to Cavani at the half, and he gets that reaction from his team, which is brilliant. And again, like, uh, Mark over here in the comments, Matic was magic. And yeah, I, I actually texted a bunch of my friends Right before the first goal happened, I said, uh, people will not like to know that Matic is rounding into form. And we saw yeah. this again, it goes back to what we saw last week. Yeah, he wasn't making those passes. You know, he was trying to pass forward a lot, but yeah. it wasn't coming off. But I said, you know, we know Matic is a better passer than this. So I'm glad to see that he's looking for it because once he put, rounds himself into form, he'll start completing those passes. Yeah, and a couple of people in the comments have said Fred is Fred was very poor yesterday. But actually, I looked at the stats after point. Fred's pass completion was ninety five percent yesterday. Now I, 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 I've got a caveat that he probably didn't try too many 
Probably didn't try too many adventurous passes. I don't know how many times he passed forward as compared to passing square and backwards. But 95% is very impressive in a, in, in a game where you're playing against an opponent that's going to be pressing your midfield poorly. You know, and you're not going to get time on the ball in the middle of the park. You know, and in comparison, I think Matic's pass completion was 86% and everyone's saying what a brilliant game Matic had. And even more that makes it look even better, Donny van der Beek, who a lot of people were eulogising, that had a very good game yesterday, his pass completion, I think, was 82%. So that just puts it into context. Actually, Fred's performance, Fred's never going to look great on the eye, I don't think. I think you're just going to have to accept that sometimes, a United fan. On the eye, he's probably never, his passing is never going to look beautiful. But I think 95% in a game like Southampton is quite impressive, to be honest. Paul. It doesn't matter what direction you're passing the ball. I'm so glad you said that and brought that up. Yeah. Um, because I'm going to hit you with a lot of things here and how you're right, but you're not, but, but you're a little wrong. Yeah. Fred, if you, if you look at Fred always gets the bad rap in games like this, always people always get annoyed. Oh, you know, he, he's giving the ball away a lot. Oh, Fred gives the ball away too. They they bring it up with McTominay to Fred gives the ball away too much with McTominay. Fred turns the ball over less than McTominay. He his pass completion is better than McTominay. Um, he he passes a lot more than McTominay. He completes a lot more passes than McTominay. If you look at Nemanja Matic's passing charts for whenever he's in form, when he's been in the best form at United, which is, you know, last year post-lockdown. Who was he playing next to? Paul Pogba. Um, when, when Solskjaer first took over, who was he playing next to? Herrera and Pogba. When he first arrived, who was he playing next to? Paul Pogba. Matic's passing chart is overwhelmingly just passes, just short, quick, easy passes to Pogba. It's, it's basically he's saying, I got the ball. I'm going to, where's Pogba? I'm going to give it to him, let him go and do things with it. That is how United play in this, in this central midfield. This one is, their, their double pivot is always one, the more defensive player who just has to make these short, simple passes. And the other is the one who has to make the more adventurous passes, get the ball up the field and get it to the good players in positions where they can, um, where they can be dangerous. Mm. So, when Fred plays with Matic, Matic is handling that role of the simple passes and yeah. he's just giving it to Fred. And now you're asking Fred to be the more expansive passer. When Fred plays with, when Fred plays with uh, Pogba, he just gives the ball to Pogba. When he plays with Matic, it's give me, it, you know, and then Fred, for the most part, he just looks for Bruno. But if Bruno's not right on him, then he's got to be more expansive. And that's not Fred's game. And, and that's why he struggles and people, you know, he, he'll pick out the right pass, but yeah. it'll be a difficult pass I and, and it won't go through. And that's why people will say, oh, he's, he's giving away the ball a lot and he's not having a great game. But now this is the interesting one. When you put Fred with Von de Beek, which rule do you think each one will have? Well, you would have thought that Fred again would look to Van der Beek to be the passer, really, wouldn't you? Because, you, you know, there's this idea that Van der Beek is a creator. But actually, you'll talk about it more, Paul. I don't think Van der Beek is the best key passer by any means in the United team. I think he's a good passer of the ball, but I don't think he's going to not key passer, if you know what I mean. You know, the, the, the balls to create chances, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah, and I'll bring up this comment by 
uh, Ronak, probably Fred gives away the ball too much, even when he is not under pressure. Well, if you say Fred gives away the ball too much, then you're saying that all the other midfielders give it away too much too, because Fred's got a better passing completion rating than all of them. And he turns the ball over without not when he's passing, just losing and getting dispossessed. He, he does that fewer. He does that less than anybody besides Matic. So if you think Fred gives the ball away too much, then so does everybody else. It's again, we always, like you said, what, what was his completion rating yesterday? Like 95%? Yeah. Yeah. We only remember the ones that didn't go through because we look and we go and we see him try to thread the needle and it gets blocked. And it's like, ah, that's frustrating. So what I found really interesting was Wednesday night with uh, Tuesday against Istanbul, when you would think, okay, Fred, you're playing with Von de Beek. Let's just give it to Von de Beek and, and be, and, you know, let him do, do the passing. And here's what everybody else says. How neat and tidy is, is Von de Beek on the ball? Donnie Von de Beek, Tuesday night, only 53% of his attempted passes were forward. That is the lowest of any United midfielder this season. And we always chastise McTominay for being too safe on the ball. He has never had a match where 53%, where 53%, where only 53% of his passes were forward. And Fred last week, um, I think it was something like Fred against Istanbul, 70% of his passes, attempted passes were forward. His average is 63 so Fred, all of a sudden now, and Fred ended up having way more progressive passes and everything and way more than Von de Beek. So suddenly you're in this where Von de Beek is, you're in this situation where Von de Beek is just making the safe, easy passes to Fred and Fred's being the one trying to be more expansive. And you're like, why is this the way we're doing? And then you come in on, on Sunday. So on Sunday, 77% of Fred's passes were forward. And Von de Beek, it was about 48%. It's even fewer. And yeah. you're just like, what's going on here? Why? And Fred, by far and away, had the most progressive passes uh, for United. So suddenly it's you bring Von de Beek into midfield. And, and the, the benefit here is we saw it early on against uh, Istanbul was Bruno dropped into midfield and Von de Beek said, get out of here. You go yeah. up the pitch where you belong. And he's, he's done that recently. And that's great because it makes him a better player and you could see how much more dangerous United are. But why is Fred all this, like when Von de Beek is doing this, Fred is now becoming the guy who has to progress the ball and that, and be the more expansive passer. And that's not his game. And that's why everybody keeps thinking he's not playing well. When in reality, it's, it's, you should say, well, maybe Von de Beek should be, should be doing that. But Here's what I'll say about Donnie Van de Beek. The thing that you have to look at is his XG buildup, which is XG buildup is when someone takes a shot, you get an XG expected goals value and um, you get an expected goals value and everybody for XG buildup, it's everybody along the passing chain gets the same value assigned except for the player who took the shot and the player who made, who assisted the shot. Van de Beek's XG buildup was, 0.95, 0.95, which is remarkably high. Fantastic. So basically when Von de Beek got the ball yesterday, it turned like when he was involved in the chain, it turned into United getting good shots 
far yeah. better than any other midfielder. That's far like Matic is usually amongst the top here with like 0.6. And Van de Beek is a third better than that. So he's obviously doing something right. And I'm not suggesting we need to change something because if you're going to come out and do and put up a 0.95 every game or even a 0.75, then by all means keep doing that. My question is me as a fan, as someone that's watching this, I am wondering why it, we, we, when Von de Beek comes into the game, we're asking Fred to be the more expansive passer when that's not Fred's game. Yeah. A couple of, a couple of things on this from my point of view. I mean, we say we should, the comment you put up there about neat and tidy, neat and tidy is lovely. And at times we need that in this team, but neat and tidy don't always progress the ball poorly. That's the other thing, you know, that, that you know, that's what we have to look for. We need people who are also going to be put, putting it forward. The thing I will say about Fred, and one thing I will always give him credit for, is I think he knows who he is as a player, Paulie. He knows his capabilities. And this idea that you said before, when he plays alongside Pogba and Matic, he'll move, well, when he plays alongside Pogba, he'll move the ball onto Pogba whenever he can because he probably understands and he's humble enough to appreciate that actually if someone's going to change a game with a pass here out of me and Paul, it's probably going to be Paul with that, with the ability levels that we have. So I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I think he knows his game. And I'm getting called out a couple of times in the comments, Paul, if we're not bringing out Bruno's stats. Well, I can tell you Bruno had a completion rate of 60% during the game. But I, what I will say on that is, is I will take that, knowing that if he's going to score a goal and, and create an assist every game. So I'm not too too worried about Bruno's passes. I always expect them to be low because he does try and change the game with every pass that he makes. I mean, he very rarely keeps it simple. Probably could do we keep it simple more, actually, Paulie, but we know what type of player Bruno is. We know whenever he's got the ball at his feet, he's looking to to impact the game. So, naturally, his completion rate will always be lower, won't it? Yeah, there's a couple of things about that. Is one... You know, even at uh, last year, what it was his completion rate, like 72%, which is just, it's, it was worse than all the other number 10s in the league. Madison, Grealish, you know, Mars, De Bruyne, all the other players who you say, oh, they're trying stuff and they're being adventurous and they're, they're, they're doing things, the creative, they're playing the high risk passes and the more difficult passes, which is true. It's his was still lower than, than all of them. Yeah. The thing is, right now, and I tweeted this at the beginning of the game in the first half, was, and I tweeted this on Tuesday also, because on Tuesday, Bruno was sensational. World-class performance from Bruno Fernandez. But what makes a player world-class is you have to do that eight out of ten games. You know, you, you, have, you have to have a performance like that, maybe, maybe a performance like that six out of ten. Two out of the next ten, got to be merely good. And then the other two out of 10, you could be, all right, I didn't have my game today. You not, uh, Right now, Bruno has yet to do anything two games in a row. He's yet to have a good game two games in a row. And that's yeah. part of the, and, and this is what I tweeted yesterday was United are so heavily built around Bruno Fernandez right now that if, if he is off, the team's off. And that's the issue is yeah. when is he has to raise his ceiling. He has to get to the point where it's not just consistency. He has to get to the point where when he has a bad game, it doesn't take away from everybody else. Because right now when he has a bad game, United just don't have a chance. He, it, it, he drops everybody, it, you know, he, it, everything just dies with him. And we've seen it sometimes when United are losing, he tries to do everything himself. And 
That was a great display yesterday. 2-2. We get a set piece. We bring everybody forward. Bruno has a chance to launch this into the box towards Cavani and Maguire. And what does he do? Dinks it off for Rashford. Let's Rashford put the cross in. Yeah. Things like that. You know, Southampton expect that to come from Bruno. Bruno trusting his teammates can get the job done is going to make us a much better, a much better team. But if Bruno isn't good right now, United aren't good. And in the first half, he was awful. And it, it ended up being a tale of two Brunos. And, and um, in the first half, he, his pass completion percent was 48, 48. It was brutal. He was doing these back flicks to no one. It, it, wa- it wasn't that he was trying stuff. It was he was doing dumb stuff. Yeah. And, and it wasn't working. And then in the second half, his pass completion rate was 72%, which is right where Bruno averages. And he actually gave the outside of passing. He actually gave the ball away more in the second half than he did in the first half, which is fine because he was back to doing Bruno things. And that's why United were so much better. So you, I can live with the low pass and everything. It's in the first half. It wasn't because he was trying like to do in the first half. He was just playing like an idiot and he was doing dumb things. And you see this comment of disagree. A world-class player can, can carry a team, which Bruno has done. He can also affect the game when playing poorly. He does. Yeah. Well, he affects games in, in the positive and negative way. I mean, Brighton, he's the one that gave away the penalty. He's the one that conceded the equalizer. He had an assist and he converted the penalty to win it. But again, we gave up two goals because of him. Southampton, he had the opportunity to clear the ball. He didn't. He did a back flick to no one. So Southampton continued their attack. Maguire then clears it to Bruno and he lost the ball, fouled the man. Southampton, Joe was talking about this earlier. Southampton then took the free kick. Lindelof heads it out for a corner. Southampton score on the corner. If Bruno just gets rid of the ball earlier in that sequence, we never even get to that corner. And in the first half when he was playing awful, he didn't affect the game. And when he disappeared against Chelsea, he didn't affect the game. He disappeared against Arsenal. He didn't affect the game. He disappeared in the uh, the away leg against Istanbul. He didn't affect the game. He has not carried us when he doesn't have a good game. He has carried us when he he was brilliant against Everton. Um, You know, he was okay against West Brom, and then he converts the penalty. He was, he was brilliant when he came on against, against Leipzig. He was brilliant in the second half yesterday when he did carry us. But in the first half, he wasn't. So a world-class player can have a, a game off. But when, when Robin Van Persie in his season for us where he was world-class, when he didn't have his best game, United could, could push on and win. When... United right now are so built around Bruno that when he isn't having his best game, they, they have nothing and it takes everything away. And that's where he needs to, he needs to raise that, that basement. The basement needs to be raised so that when he has a bad game, it's just, Oh, Bruno doesn't have it today, but you know, the rest of the team can pick him up and we can, and we can get there. And look, would we be in the champions league without him? No, we wouldn't. That's, that's not just, this isn't to say that Bruno's not a good player. He's not a world-class player. He has world-class ability. World-class players bring it eight out of 10 games. And the, the two out of 10 games, it, it, he, they, you know, they, they don't 
pull away from their team. Bruno isn't bringing it every single game. He's bringing it a lot of games, but he's not bringing it every game. And until he brings it every single game, then he's not then he's not going to be a world class player. Right now, he is a a world class talent who needs to become more consistent. I think the impact of Bruno Fernandez says just as much about where this team was at before he came than it does about Bruno Fernandez as well, Paulie. I mean, there's no doubt he, he's he's brought a different dimension to our team. There's no doubt he's been brilliant for us, all, all of these things. But actually, it makes you just realise just how we were lacking in that department before he came. And, and and God forbid, if he was to get injured, Paulie, where we'd be without him. I mean, obviously, I think the natural replacement thing would be Donny van der Beek. And I think the interesting thing, then, if van der Beek plays that sort of Bruno Fernandes role, it'd be interesting to see how that affects the way the team progress and go forward. Because, look, Donny's arguably more neat and tidy, as we've already said, on the ball. And probably his past completion would be better in that position. But... Would he be able to create as many chances as what Bruno does? I'm not so sure. So it'd be an interesting dynamic, but it's one that I hope we don't see. I hope Bruno stays fit all season because I think that's one dilemma that Oli could do without, to be honest. Yeah, this this comment, uh, world-class players don't do it every game. They don't. They do it eight out of ten games. And in the yeah. other two games, they're they're not detracting from their team. Their team can win without them. When, when Bruno isn't having a good game, he did nothing against Arsenal. And what did United do? Nothing. Because they run everything through him that if he doesn't have a good game, it becomes problematic. And until he raises that floor, he isn't going to be world-class because there's there are just too many games where he's just bad. And for as many, you know, they need him to be more consistent because he does carry them. He puts this team on his back and he carries them because he is so good. He's so talented. But Think about all the good players. People like they get annoyed if you don't call somebody world class. You know, everybody's so quick to to scream it from the the hills. Like, oh, you know, this player's world class. Think about all the good players that United had under Sir Alex Ferguson. Yeah, I, I just start naming them because he'll tell. You, he wrote in his book, "I only ever managed four world class players: Cantona, Giggs, Skulls." Ronaldo, everyone else, Rooney, Van Persie, Van Nistelrooy, Keane, Vidic, Ferdinand, Evra, Stam, Sharp, Cole, Solskjaer. Everyone else could be sky high, but that doesn't mean, but they weren't world-class. You don't need to be world-class to carry a team. You, you need world-class talent, and Bruno has that. But in order to be world-class, you need to bring it eight out of 10 games and not just for a year. And you certainly didn't need to be world-class to affect this team because you think right. where it was before Bruno came in as well, Paulie. Like I say, we were on our knees in January last year. Weren't we? Well, we were just starting to try and get around some form, but you know, Bruno obviously propelled that. So that's the thing. It depends where your team is at the point of someone coming in, I think, as well, as to where a player can propel you too, obviously. You know what I mean? And sometimes when you're so low, you know. So, I mean, like we said earlier, even Agarlo made our front line look better when he played when he first came in. You know what I mean? And that said a lot about the options that we had in the front line, didn't it? You know what I mean? It wasn't so much Igalo himself. It was just he was something different to what we had, obviously. And that, that's yeah, why. And, and you, I mean, just world-class players need to bring it every game 
give or take. And they need to do it for more than the season. Imagine if, if Ronaldo scored 42 goals in a year and then went back the next year and just became uh, a 15 goal year player. Would we say he's world-class or would we say he had a world-class season? You want to be a world-class player. You have to do that for two, three years and then keep going. That doesn't, you know, Anthony Martial on his day has world-class talent. No one will ever call him world-class because his day comes once every nine games. Um, so Bruno Fernandes has that world-class talent. He has that world-class ability. He's got to show it more consistently. The, the, the fact of the matter is he was bad against Brighton. He was bad against Tottenham. He was bad against Chelsea. He was bad against Arsenal. Like He's had a lot of bad games here. He is rounding a corner, but he's got to do it more consistently. And he came out in the first half and was terrible against, um, against Southampton. And then in the second half, I don't know if someone said something at halftime or whatever. In the second half, he was back to being Bruno and boom, United run away and they, they, yeah. they get their three goals. Um, real quick. Cause we only have about two or three minutes left, Joe. Let's turn the page real quick. We've got PSG on Wednesday United. All they need is a draw. I believe to go through if they, if they draw PSG, there is no scenario where PSG can jump United. So yeah. they may not win the group, but they can't fall out. Thomas Tuchel made some comments last week saying, uh, you know, he was ready to, you know, if they, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically if, if we need to park the bus at all, or if we need to sit deep at Old Trafford, we'll come in and sit and sit deep. Um, Joe, a lot of talk with United going to a back three because they that's what they do against big teams. But Axel Tonzebi suspended. Scott McTominay might be injured. How would you see they they line up in this one? Back three is an interesting one, Paulie, because I'm wondering if they've got the personnel to necessarily do it. Like you said, that Axel Turnzebe suspended. Luke Shaw, who's been crucial to how well the back three's worked in the past back five, you know, he's obviously not available either. I don't know. I mean, you you feel confident that Solskjaer, you know, as good as PSG are and, and as worrying as this game should be, you, you also, in the back of your mind, feel that Solskjaer has this one on lockdown. He's got something... You know, if he, he feel, it feels like he has a blueprint for it. He's, you know, first time you could say maybe a fluke, but obviously he went there and did it again this year. So I don't know. I, I, I like the idea of a back five, but only if they've got the personnel to do it poorly. I mean, what about maybe McTominay coming into that? You know, we know he played it for Scotland. Could he play as a centre-back in a back three? Matic is another option, obviously, as well, although you probably want him in midfield. I don't know. It's tough, isn't it? Because you feel if they go a back four... The game becomes a bit of an unknown again, doesn't it? I mean, the game, the first leg, when we beat them over two legs before, they came to Old Trafford and won two 0 with United playing a back four, I think it was. And you know that night they 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 won they won quite comfortably, but they've got their problems as well. Obviously injuries. I know they've got a few players back, but they they're not playing. You know they weren't convincing against Leipzig the other week when they won. It was a massive win for them without playing too well. But it's a massive game. But United have to go with the intention of winning. You never play for a draw, obviously, at any stage. It's such a dangerous game to play that. So I think, you know, United have got enough to beat them going forward. We know that. We know that definitely. But have they? Will they have enough with the personnel missing to to keep them out of the back poorly? Because I thought Two and Zabi was brilliant in that game. And like I've said before, Luke Shaw's also been key to how well we've played the back five as well. So yeah, I mean, I think. He'll probably have to go four because of personnel, but he would if he can find a way of going three or five. Then I think he will. But what do you think? I, I don't, I don't think you can go three, 
um, because who's the third? Um, yeah. You know, Twanzebi suspended. So you have Maguire, Lindelof. You can, you can do McTominay in there as the right center back. That's where he plays for Scotland. And he's been playing great for Scotland there. You can yeah. do that. Um, if McTominay is fit, I believe he returned the training today. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I was tweeting this this morning. Like, what's his injury? I know he's hurt. What is he hurt with? No one's ever yeah. said anything. And yeah. I actually have a theory that basically is given how much he's had to play for Scotland yeah. and everything early on the season, you know how Ferguson used to find a week or so in the season to rest players, to rest a player at a time that yeah. perhaps Solskjaer just said, you know what, uh, Southampton and uh, Istanbul, those aren't the games for you. So just take a few days off. We'll say that you were hurt and then you'll come back um, and you'll be ready and you'll be fully fit for, for PSG. The same way that Ferguson used to tell, you know, Gary Neville, like, oh, I, I can't play you today. Like, I need you in two weeks. And Neville would be like, uh, was I dropped or am I being rested? Like, what, yeah. you know, save him for PSG. The issue is three at the back. Then Matic has to play if, if you slot McTominay in there. Yeah. And uh, Matic, again, twice in a week, maybe he's finding his form. So maybe, and he's still fresh, so he could do it now. But you don't want to get, again, like, when you drain the tank and you only have three days, to recharge it, your, your recharge level is never going to get fully back to hundred yeah. percent. So, you know, if, if Matic has three days to recover from last week and from Sunday and he, his energy went down to 60% and he recovers now and he's at 90% and then you play him again. And now he goes down to 45% and now he only recovers to 75%. Yeah. You run into that risk because I think West Ham is a game where you need, where you want to play Matic and, Von de Beek in midfield. That seems yeah. like the, the right combination for to play against the David Moyes team. Yeah. So you so if McTominay's fit, you want to go McTominay and Fred in midfield. That's what worked the first time around. So I, I just don't see. And uh, one of the comments early on in the show said Eric Bay. Eric Bay is not fit yet. So unless you're bringing on Timothy Fosu Mensa to play as like one of your center backs, I don't see that happening. The, um, the, other player, the other player that will be key as well, Paulie, I always think in these games now is Aaron Wambasaka because I think if if there's one fullback in the world that is all kind of wrongs for killing Mbappe, it's probably Wambasaka to be honest. I mean, killing Mbappe's game is 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 based on the fact that in every game he plays, he can have any fullback on toast. To be honest, I think you know what I mean. But Wambasaka is just one of those defensively fullbacks that. Mbappe won't face very often, not only in his own league, but obviously in Europe either. You know what I mean? So, and and again against PSG in the first game, along on that right hand side with Tuan Xavier, he his positioning and his tackling was excellent. And you're going to need that kind of performance again from Aaron. You know, if you're going to keep Mbappe quiet, because yeah, for is sure. so key. For sure, I did suggest this morning going with a team that looks like this. This would be something if you saw this team on paper you would think they're going with a back three um, because Brandon Williams, I have Brandon Williams in it and Alex Tellis, but really I think in reality it would look like a back four with Alex Tellis playing just up the field as the left winger. And that's really, to be honest, if you look at the average positions from the match against PSG and basically every match where they played with a back three last year, United's back three is really like when they get real, like Brandon Williams comes back to get back. And when they have to defend deep, it becomes a back five, but in re in almost every other asset 
aspect of the game. It's a back four where Shaw just swap like slides over to left back. And that would be the case here. Williams slides over to left back. Tellez is your left if, is your left winger. So it, it is a little bit, it's a very Mourinho like formation. If you, you remember like how we would play Darmian as the right back and Delo, you know, ahead of him. Um, and I think in the first game, Solskjaer played against PSG when he first came to the club, the one when we, we won it with the penalty in the last minute, he played Obviously, Ashley Young at right midfield and Eric yeah, Dye at right back. Right yeah. So I think that only lasted a half hour until he said, well, this was a disaster and he yeah, pulled by off the pitch. So I think we could do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I also wouldn't be shocked to see uh, Dan James come in on the front, you know, treat this the way that you treated like Manchester city at the Etihad last year, where he was brilliant. And yeah. because of his off the ball movement and his ability to get back and help defend and, and help out on Kylian Mbappe. If, if you play him on the right side, he is a player that is kind of in form in the, in, and I say that in the lowest regard of the word, but for his last two appearances for club and country, he has scored two goals. So his confidence is probably higher now yeah. than it's, it's been since January um, and you, you're not asking him to create a lot. You're just asking him to run around, help out defensively. And then we're going to get the ball up to Cavani, who would be a great holdup player. And Cavani's going to play you into space and, and you're going to use your speed. You'll have Rashford on the other side, or you'll have Cavani in the middle. Just put that cross in. That could be a good game for him. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked to see him there. If, if PSG do want to come to Old Trafford and sit deep, by all means, like I'll take a boring ass game like against Chelsea. Oh, yeah. nil, one, one, take it. And we're off to the, uh, and we're off to the, um, to the knockout stages yeah. by all means. I also think at home, like R I was not that impressed with PSG last week. I was not that impressed with RB Leipzig last week at all. I was not that impressed with Leipzig, obviously not when they came to Old Trafford and not in the first game when they played Istanbul at home. I think Istanbul might be able to nick a point off of Leipzig at home. I think RB Leipzig are very are a little overrated. Nobody in Europe talks about them as being the RB Leipzig anymore. It's it's still it's just United fans because we we think they're really good and we like to think it's the group of death and that there's no possible way we can win. I think RB Leipzig are a little overrated. I think Istanbul can can nick a point. The way that they obviously in the in their in their home leg against United, they just sat back and hit them on the counter. They came to play at Old Trafford, and they played well. Um, yeah. And United just hit them so quickly in the first half, which was great because if they didn't, that could have that game could have went south real quick. They showed up, and I think if they yeah. do that at home, they can nick a point against, against Leipzig, in which case um, any result for United would send them through, I believe. Uh, yeah. any, any result, a draw or a win would automatically send them through and give them the – upper hand in getting to the uh in winning the group that is all the time we had joe monday it's great we didn't have to wait till tuesday this week we will be back this week at another special time on friday so we will be able to break down for you the um the match against psg we will be able to look ahead to saturday's match against west ham because away to west ham is never a fun trip especially in recent years thank you so much for getting involved in the comments um we had some good debate in there. That's what we like to have. Uh, let us know. Uh, there were a lot of comments, so many for me to follow along with. Um, thank you for listening. The United Happy Hour presented by the Elite Football Show. Like, subscribe, hit those buttons, tell your friends, tell your friends. Thank you so much, and we will see you on Friday.